Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to make sure you know about my live parent workshops. One Friday a month, I host a live virtual parent workshop on topics related to raising neurodivergent kids and teens. We cover topics like how to talk to your child about their diagnosis, how to support negative self-talk, and navigating school for your child. You can register for workshops one at a time, or you can become an all-access subscriber on Substack for instant access to all the workshops and replays. To browse the workshop library and subscribe, go to learnwithdremily.substack.com and click Parent Workshops. Hey y'all, before we begin, if you're a school administrator who loves watching your teachers and students thrive, but you feel your staff needs more training to meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners, I am here for you. I am now offering professional development for pre-K through 8th grade educators, both in-person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to learnwithdremily.com schools to get started. Parents, you wear many hats. In addition to parent, you may also be spouses, children, siblings, professionals, volunteers, and then you also take on the role of homeschool administrators. You need to balance yourselves so that you don't burn out. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist, and I am on a mission to help everyone understand that nurturing neurodivergent children isn't about changing them, but about changing us. Each week, I share my thoughts on topics related to child development, mental health, parenting, education, and parent-teacher collaboration. You can read more on my Substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com or listen here. So let's get started with today's topic. Okay, welcome today to the Learn with Dr. Emily podcast. We have the pleasure of talking with Amy Langston. And I have known Amy for many years, but I will start with a bio so you can get to know her. So Amy is a Raleigh area native who is an autistic self-advocate, diagnosed at the age of 10. Her special interest is in world religions, and she holds a bachelor's and a master's degree in religious studies. She delivers training sessions to religious organizations and others on autism inclusion. Her passions are writing and traveling, and she is always either researching the newest language trend or dreaming about where to go next. We share that in common. Mm -hmm. You can learn more about Amy at her website at amylangston.com. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be here with you. So as I mentioned, I've known Amy for many years and value her perspective very much. Today, though, we are going to talk about Amy's experience being homeschooled, and I want to help everyone just listen more about the benefits and challenges of homeschooling. Before we get going, Amy and I have a disclaimer for everyone. Mm. We are both as you know, if you followed me for a while, very strong advocates for public school. We believe that public access to education is a right, and we must continue working to make public education more accessible for all students. 
However, we also know that some parents choose to homeschool their children for many reasons, but the main reason I come across in my work is to support the mental health of children when traditional school has become too overwhelming to provide an optimal learning environment. So we hope today we'll provide ideas and perspectives for all the ways that students can learn. Do you have anything to add to that disclaimer? Yeah, um, I think that really encapsulates it. Um, I I believe that every child has the right to a safe and equitable education, um, and it is the responsibility of us as a public, as a society, to provide that. And in many cases, we're able to provide that in public schools, but sometimes uh, parents decide that they want to pursue other ways to give the best education possible to their child, and they might be curious about homeschooling, and that's what we would be discussing today. Yeah. So let's dive in first to your experience that might just be kind of an overview, but um, will you first tell us um, how you and your parents decided to homeschool, how that came about, kind of the timeline of that and how that came about? So I grew up with my mom, dad, and sister. She's three years older than me. And my mom is a product of the public school system and a lineage of teachers. Her great-grandmother was a teacher. Her grandmother was a teacher. Her mother was a teacher. Her sister was a teacher. Nieces and nephews have been and are teachers. So if you're keeping track, that's five generations of teachers right there. So she is an ardent supporter of public schools. We never would have imagined that we would homeschool We started for the first several years of our life in public schools, and we really tried to make it work, but it was often difficult for us. I started going to a private school in sixth grade. My sister continued going to public schools. When she was in 10th grade and I was in seventh grade, she had developed some serious health issues, physical health issues. By the end of that year, a doctor told our mom, she can graduate anytime she needs to get well now. And that gave her the permission to do something other than a traditional public school for my sister. She started looking into alternatives and set up my sister in a homeschool. I was still at my private school in eighth grade. I was starting to have my own problems there, and I got to observe how homeschooling was going for her, and I thought I wanted to do it too. By the start of ninth grade, I was enrolled in our homeschool. My sister graduated from the homeschool after two years at it, and I did it for the entirety of high school, also graduating. I have no doubt that it was the right thing for me, and I wouldn't have wanted to do anything else. Yeah, so I'm sure that your mom did not take this decision lightly. And almost, it sounds like, you know, a big deal medical decision for your sister is what happened to really get going with this decision of of reframing how she thought about education and then thinking through how it could look different. So how did you all make homeschooling work? Uh, I mean, how it's different for every family, but how did your family make it work? This often depends on parent work schedules, different ages, what your child is interested in. How how did you all make it work? The first thing that we had to process was that we were even homeschooling at all. 
it was difficult to believe that we were a homeschooling family. Um, and that was hard enough to think about. And now we had to think about how we were going to do it. My parents worked in software. We always had computers in the home, even those enormous computers back in the 90s that smartphones would put to shame. Uh, we were so comfortable with computers that we realized an online high school option was a good fit for us. Okay. We would enroll in online courses, and that would be the bedrock of our homeschool curriculum. We discovered that many universities and private companies throughout the country operate distance education programs. Not only that, we learned how old distance education really is. Penn Foster High School is a descendant of Penn Foster Career School, through which coal miners did distance learning as far back as 1890. Mm. Correspondence courses were the primary format for distance education before the internet became available, where learning occurs with printed materials and can potentially be done without an internet connection by handwriting everything. And correspondence courses are still used in places with limited internet. Online high school courses are offered alongside curriculums for completing a high school diploma. They keep up with the curriculum requirements like you would for a college degree. Uh, my program offered a general high school diploma and a college preparatory diploma. My sister completed the college preparatory diploma. That was my initial goal too, but by my third year, I had decided that it was more realistic for me to not fulfill their specific requirements but to instead receive a diploma issued by our homeschool. When you do that, you're not limited to only the course offerings from your online high school to complete the diploma. Now you can design your own courses. You can do it like I did, and now extracurricular activities can count as courses. They become in-curriculars. <laughs> I did tap dancing, and now I could count tap one and tap two as courses. Another type of course can be a deep dive into individual research and projects. It's enough learning that you can call it a course. You can also mix it up with a variety of online high schools. About two thirds of my formal courses came from one high school and the other one third came from a different one. Then our own self-designed courses, which I often had tutors for. And I benefited from that one-on-one -on -one instruction. And that's the overview about how we made it work. Yeah, so I think even your experience, since your experience homeschooling for high school, it's evolved even more. Oh, yeah. And there's so many more opportunities for younger children to gain access to maybe a semi-structured learning situation that's homeschool. Um, do you have any ideas for or, or things you have read that sound like good ideas for um, middle schoolers or for elementary kids? The interesting thing is that the online high school where I did most of my courses from, I don't think they have this anymore, but at the time they had courses available for grades third through eighth. Mm -hmm. Unlike the high school, the high school came with high school credit that you could put toward college admissions and such. Mm -hmm. And there was no credit for, for the third through eighth grade mm -hmm. courses. 
but it was more available as a curriculum for the students to use. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that nowadays there's probably just so many more options available yeah. um, because of how much online education has expanded and there's more formats for it. When I was doing my courses, the inter- it was a very simple interface. It was just lessons that you would read, like a series of online articles, and here's the assignments that you turn in. There's really no person-to-person interaction that was going on for the most part. No interactions with anyone else enrolled in the course. And there's probably more of that now. But the other great thing is, especially compared to when I was of that age, the the sheer volume of alternative learning options has expanded so much. There's so many, not just YouTube, but other websites, Curiosity Stream or any of the those other websites that are filled with videos and educational videos, tutorials, all of those things. And it, even compared to when I was in college, which is just about, six, seven years ago, it's just exploded with how much is available. And all of those can provide resources mm-hmm. for kids to learn, whether they're homeschooled or in public schools. So let's dive into kind of the why this was better for you and what homeschooling shifted for you. So of course, this is going to be a question about the benefits of homeschooling for you, but I'm interested to hear about any relief you felt not being in a school building, not being in a, um, you know, a crowded environment. You were going from middle school to online school. So what was good about it for you? And I, I want everyone listening to be thinking about if, if you're curious about, you know, how your child learns and, and how they would feel better in a learning environment, thinking about reducing anxiety, thinking about all the specific individual differences with how we reduce anxiety. So what were the benefits for you? And then I'll probably have follow-up questions. Well, I'm, I have thought about it more in terms of academics than okay. mental health okay. myself. Um, for me, I think the transition from a crowded space didn't really apply because I was going to a private school that was so small that mm-hmm. there wasn't it wasn't this big overwhelming environment as a public school might be. But in terms of the different academic components, there were three major pieces there. For us, the biggest one was probably the pacing. Unfortunately, public schools just cannot let every student learn content at their own pace. And a certain amount of time is allotted for students to learn the lessons. And if they need more time, they fall behind. And alternatively, they might need less time and they can get bored. Mm -hmm. And this can easily happen when you have several different subjects they need to be learning and they don't excel equally at all of them. In homeschooling, we could take as much or as little time as we needed Because we set our own schedule, we'd often continue in the summer months. And a big part of setting our own schedule was sleep. Most teens have sleep deprivation as school starts too early for a teen's circadian rhythm. As a teen, I never had that problem. 
I could go to bed when I needed to and wake up after a full night's sleep. And for that, I am forever grateful. <laughs> Uh, my online courses gave me between nine and 12 months to finish each course. The courses were entirely self-paced. Sometimes I'd take the entire 12 months. Other times I'd take only three. Our mom always emphasized the importance really was mastery rather than what a letter grade reflects. Mm -hmm. We would be asked about what did you learn instead of what did you make? And that really put learning as the priority above meeting requirements. And that's something I'd encourage any parent anywhere to think about. Mm -hmm. Grades are arbitrary. They are not necessarily a reflection of learning or effort. You can learn a lot in a class you make a C in. You can learn not much in a class you make an A in because it's easy I think it makes sense that if a child isn't doing well with their grades to investigate why and to do that before bringing out punishments because you assume it's because they didn't put in enough effort. Another important thing, especially for neurodivergent kids, is making special interests more central to the learning process. The great thing about online high school courses is that courses can be made available indefinitely and doesn't necessitate the teacher staying in one institution. You then have courses in so many interesting subjects that aren't typically offered in public schools, ranging from oceanography to sports literature to mathematics of money. And some subjects you'd wonder how they work as an online course, such as bowling and swimming courses or vegetable gardening. You could likely find a formal course that interests them or otherwise make your own. If your kid loves Legos, that can become a project in engineering and architecture and creativity and storytelling. Really think about how your child's interests are an opportunity to tie in learning and that play is a child's work. Similar to that is the point of experiential hands-on learning. Especially if you are designing your own courses, you can go beyond lectures and tests. Take field trips and interview experts in their fields. Learning can be a part of your everyday life, whether that's teaching your teen about making a grocery list and preparing family dinner, which itself can be a chemistry lesson and how heat changes food, or learning about erosion from the creek you walk by on family walks. Finding those moments to sprinkle and learning to everything you do. I'd think you'd find, as my mom did, that you and your kids get to be learning together. You're sharing in the process, and it's a lot of fun. That's so helpful to think about. And to follow up on the idea of pacing, I, if I'm not, I think I'm right in saying this, both of your parents were working during this time. Yes, my mom was right? a part-time worker. Okay, so when we think about traditional school, in families with working parents, you absolutely schedule your life around <laughs> the school schedule and the work schedule and then when you're going to be together. Mm -hmm. But with the flexibility of the pacing, I'm assuming that, you know, your your mom could join you in activities. If there was a field trip y'all wanted to take, you know, you could plan that. I'm curious if you have any memories of being, like you said, with the sleep. You're forever grateful with the sleep. Do you have any memories of experiences you had that you're pretty sure you would not have gotten 
at that age that was kind of wrapped into because of the pacing or special interests or hands-on learning? So many. Uh, we could go on trips uh, whenever we wanted. And you traveled and, internationally in high school, yeah, right? Yeah, we traveled internationally often. One big thing I remember is that my mom would do um, research for books that she wrote, and I often got to go with her on her little research trips. She was writing historical fiction. And we came to downtown Raleigh, and we went to the to the state archives, and we got to actually look at documents from centuries ago. There were wills, there were contracts, all, all kinds of court documents. And I got to actually see that up close. Um, we went to living history museums throughout the state. All of these uh, very specific uh, direct experiences um, that didn't depend on any schedules. It depended only on our schedule. Mm-hmm. I want to say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The regulation roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it. And the reframing behavior worksheet helps you problem solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to learnwithdremily.com slash roster or learnwithdremily.com slash reframing behavior to get started. I want to welcome any parents who are new to this journey. If your child has just been identified as autistic or diagnosed with ADHD, learning differences, or is twice exceptional, welcome. You are in the right place. You may also be overwhelmed by all the calls and emails you're having to make to providers as you're building your child's team. That's why I created the Referral Tracker, which is a free download at learnwithdremily.com tracker. This free resource explains what each provider does and gives you a template to keep track of all your research. Just go to learnwithdremily.com tracker to get started. Well, most of the questions I get from parents about homeschooling is uh, this conflict they have as a parent feeling like, I think my child needs a different learning environment, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. (laughs) And so they start to sometimes quickly rationalize the downsides of homeschooling. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm curious from your perspective of someone who does, I know, think so fondly on those years of homeschooling, there are challenges that come up. So What were the challenges for you? So as great as homeschooling was, I also firmly believe that it is not for everyone. Um, I've had neurodivergent families tell me that homeschooling would not work for their child, which I totally understand. Even for the families who do prefer homeschooling, they have their own issues they have to tackle. And for us especially in our transition to homeschooling in our teen years, is how it affects the parent-child relationship. Parents, you wear many hats. In addition to parent, you may also be spouses, children, siblings, professionals. 
volunteers. And then you also take on the role of homeschool administrators. You need to balance yourselves so that you don't burn out. Your relationship with your child will take on a new dimension now that you're involved in each other's lives more. You have the potential to drive each other to the breaking point. <laughs> you can take a master class in nagging without planning on it. Time management is crucial for all of you. Keep up with the requirements placed on you and the records you need to maintain in your homeschool. A common objection to homeschooling is about socialization. Mm -hmm. While this is definitely something homeschooling parents need to think about, it's absolutely doable. Yeah. Some homeschoolers join homeschoolers programs where they can share classes taught by other homeschool parents and do activities together. Uh, and they can enroll in many other activities in the wider community to have positive interactions with other youth and adults as role models. Positive social exposure is more important than the volume of people they see on a daily basis. I get that question a lot, of course, yeah. is I am worried about my child getting enough social exposure. And I can't remember if I've said this on the podcast before, but what I like to say about social exposure is that it's all about being socially satisfied Yes. Not social success. So I'm like, what yeah. is social success? Well, satisfaction like you, is success. Right. And so when I hear parents a lot talk about, I want my child to be socially successful, well, that can feel often to me, I think, and, and probably to us, is a little bit ableist because we're like, well, are you talking about extroverted? Are you talking about they have a certain number of friends? Are you talking about can socialize within a traditional school? So I always fall back on this social, social satisfaction feeling. If the child has one quality friend that they love and they are socially satisfied, and that's not necessarily what would satisfy the parent, that's still social success for that child. You agree? Yes. Um, I tend to find in sociological research that if you have one, two, or three close friends, you're doing pretty good, mm -hmm. neurotypical or neurodivergent. Um, and so I think about it from that perspective of not having a template for what social success or life success looks like. Mm -hmm. And that's when you uh, ask your child or observe your child, what do you want out of your life instead of this external idea about what success looks like and what the good life looks like, especially when we just know how hard things are for neurodivergent kids. Um, sometimes we need to give themselves their break and look at if they have that one very close friend, that's, that, that's such a wonderful thing mm -hmm. that, that they can, that they can get to that because that's something that unfortunately many of them can have a hard time with. So yeah, if they can have mostly positive interactions instead of mostly a negative interactions, then they're doing very well as far as socialization goes. And I love how you put it with social positivity is much more important than social quantity. 
Yes. And sometimes schools obviously give us social quantity, and sometimes we feel like that's success, but not if our child is um, unhappy or feeling down or feeling excluded. It doesn't really matter how many people you're around if you're not feeling socially happy. So you mentioned college earlier, and how does your memory of this experience kind of transition into that idea of college. And that's a downside I hear from many, many parents is if I do homeschool, I don't know if my child can be ready for college because the only way many parents know to get their child ready for college is whatever the high school, local high school does. After we started homeschooling, one of my mom's biggest concerns was just that. Okay. Will they get accepted to college? Are their homeschool transcripts acceptable? When my sister was applying to college, we found it much easier than we expected to. They will usually accept homeschool transcripts, and I know lifelong homeschoolers who have gone to college. Way back when, I read an article about a lifelong homeschooler who went to MIT. They might have special procedures in place for homeschool students, but they know that homeschoolers won't have the same network of people to write recommendations and clubs to take leadership roles and so forth. So they adjust their expectations. And it's a good idea to stay aware of the course admissions requirements that your students' preferred colleges have so you are keeping up with those requirements. But besides admissions, you'll also need to think about transitioning into college life. For me, Admissions was the easy part. Okay. Transitioning was the hard part. They'll find themselves suddenly surrounded by hundreds of people, schedules, deadlines, and rules every day. Even if they've been in school before, take it from me, if you've been away from it long enough, it'll be a shock. So they definitely need to be prepared as best they can well, for and that yours, environment. <laughs> yours was a jump between eighth grade was the last time I was in traditional school and freshman in college. Yeah. And that's a huge difference in expectation of independence. All right. So if a parent is listening and is interested in learning more about homeschooling, in your experience, where should they start? So I think it's important to think about your reasons for homeschooling. Why are you interested in it? How will it benefit your family life and your child? If you believe that homeschooling is what's best for your child, don't be afraid to take the leap. My mother would always say, give yourself permission to do what's best for your child, mm -hmm. even if it's not a common thing to do. You'll need to think about if your child's personality fits homeschooling. A child who is very, very extroverted or social may get cabin fever from spending so much time at home. And there needs to be some internal motivation to get their work done. You can build that in a child if they're starting at age five. But if you're starting homeschooling later, you have to be really sure that your child is up for what is expected of them. Every state sets their own requirements for how to homeschool. Some states expect keeping strict records of a student's progress or taking standardized tests or registering the homeschool as a legal educational institution. Some states have fewer requirements. But homeschooling is legal in all 50 U.S. states and some other countries, too, such as Canada and the U.K. 
if you live in the Raleigh area, there is actually a store, maybe one of the few of its kind, for homeschooling materials. It's the homeschool gathering place if you want to check it out. Amy, what would you like parents to know about raising autistic kids and teens? What I would say to parents of neurodivergent kids out there, to always remember that you do the best you can with the information that you have. And you forgive yourself for what you didn't know 10 years ago that you know now for the um, past mistakes that you made that were based on the information you had then that you don't have now. And it is okay to be concerned about what a diagnosis can mean about your child's future. Because if you are a parent, of course you're going to worry about your kid. You're going to be concerned about your kid. What I would also say to think about is that um, while this diagnosis, this reality alters your child's future, it doesn't ruin it. Your child might just take the scenic route instead, and they can still do so many wonderful, amazing things. And as long, maybe they'll be coloring outside the lines, but that's okay. It's nurture that coloring outside the lines. The other thing is that you don't have to do this alone. Uh, the the thing about parenting today is that it so often happens in isolation in a way that it was never intended to. Mm-hmm. But you have a community of parents who have come before you who know exactly how it feels, who are in the same positions as you They were in that same place once, and they are there to support you and guide you through this journey because it is tough, and you you don't have to deny that. it, It can be hard sometimes. You'll have your amazing days. You'll have your tough days. Uh, and there are so many resources. There is so much community available to you as you go through this journey. And it's really about the journey along the way and not the destination. I couldn't agree more. Hmm. I'm curious if there are any components of homeschool that come to mind that you feel like a teacher could implement this within the public school or within a charter school or within a traditional classroom, maybe not to the extent that homeschooling has the flexibility, but can you imagine anything that you benefited from or you've heard other homeschool students benefit from that you wish teachers would flex on a little bit? I think it's important for teachers to remember what it is their students are going to remember about them years later. Mm, I love um, that. Your students are probably not going to remember your lesson plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, while your lesson plans might still be important, of course, your students are going to remember how you treated them. And it's that social, emotional learning piece and having that outside of their family, they a teacher is one of the most important adults uh, in a a child's life. 
And you have to think about how you want your child, how you want your student to remember you Mm -hmm. in that role. And so you step back and say, if a child is behaving in a way that I don't understand, why are they doing that? What don't I know? What more do I need to know? So there's that part of it. And with that, you work closely with the child's parents and that you and the child's parents are a team. You're both on the same team. You are on team student. And you work together for what is best for this child and what will contribute to this child flourishing. Yeah, and the part of that that I think is inspired by homeschooling is the curiosity that's needed to flex and to think about what's going on with a child's behavior. You know, I think so much of homeschooling and thinking up what you're going to do is curiosity and creativity and following your child's lead. Yes, teachers, you have to teach a curriculum and there's a pace and there's a group that you have to stay in and all of those things. But on an individual basis, the more and more I talk to teachers, they find so much success when they just slow down and take a step back and get curious about what's happening in that child's life, what's happening in that child's personal experience and and sensory experience and and overwhelm in a learning environment. So I think that's the little nugget of wisdom from homeschool life that can inform some more traditional education approaches is just that curiosity in education. Thank you so much for joining me on the Learn with Dr. Emily podcast. And remember, you can learn more about Amy at amylangston.com. This has been Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast. For more resources, including both parent, teacher, and school resources, visit learnwithdremily.com or read my substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com. Also, we are publishing this podcast weekly, so make sure you're subscribed by pressing the plus, follow, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using right now. This podcast is edited by EarFluence. All information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have immediate concerns about your child, please reach out to a mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we will keep learning together next week.